0: All right, grab those Bibles. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be for the reading of our text this morning. We will be in chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Verses 25 through 34. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a paperback Bible right there in front of you. If you don't own one, that's our gift to you this morning. Take that home, write your name in it, mark it up, and fall in love with Christ in those pages. When you get to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, say, He is good. All right. Follow along with me, and upon the conclusion of the reading of the text, I will say, This is the word of the Lord, and you respond with thanks be to God. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they?
1: Well, we are glad that you're here today, and hopefully you are warm and have a cup of coffee. Uh, Staying warm is a full-time job right now. And so we are in our series entitled um, Jesus Uncensored, and we're continuing through the Sermon on the Mount. We only have a few weeks um, left in this sermon series, but I don't know if you were paying attention to the scripture that was read to you. But um, Jesus gets us in the feels today um, with this idea of anxiety and how to deal with this. And what we've really looked at last week, we sort of did a review on the Sermon on the Mount and talked about this idea of the kingdom of God and that the kingdom of God is not just this ethereal concept or this place that we're going to after we die, but rather it's a life that we're living in the here and now and that Jesus Christ is king and that he's initiating his kingdom in the here and now. And maybe as a way of introduction this morning, always at the end of the year and at the beginning of a new year, I always love to read like news articles or see um, you know major news outlets as they review the year and they talk about either celebrities or people who have passed away this past year. And so as I was scrolling through and looking through some of the articles, one article caught my eye more than any of them, and it was from Apple News. And this was the headline in big, bold letters. It said, 2017. A year in anxiety between threats of nuclear war and a perfect storm of natural disasters, 2017 has seen a lot of heart-pounding news and Xanax prescriptions. And man, when you look back, and as I read through the article, I almost got anxious reading the article. Like, oh no, all this stuff is happening and going on. And one of the things that the article said was, in all reality, um, actually technology and modern medicine is not solving our anxiety, but actually more technology is making us more anxious, um, there's, there was a study done in Harvard that actually every time that your phone rings or buzzes now, it's almost like Pavlo's dog. It releases hormones in your mind that are closely related to anxiety. So when, you, when that phone buzzes and you look at it, you are almost anxious as to what it says in that moment. And they actually coined a new phrase because of all of the natural disasters that happened in 2017, from fires to tsunamis to all of those things, and it's called eco-anxiety. And it means that you're literally anxious about the earth itself. And when I read that, I thought, wow, are we really as advanced as we say that we are? We are so anxious, and we are an anxious people. I've, I've never been one who's actually struggled with anxiety in my life un, until I became a pastor. So thanks, appreciate that. I lost my hair for it, you know? I'm, no, no. But um, really, when we think about it and, and assess Jesus' words that he has here in the Sermon on the Mount, there's a great tension there. If you look at the first word in the passage, I want you to have your eyes on Scripture today, and I really want you to be looking at your Bible so you know I'm not making any of this up. I want you to be able to look and go, yep, that's right there in verse 25. Or That's there. In verse 25, he starts with, therefore, which leads us back to the preceding verses, and Jesus is talking about money. He's talking about finances. So one of the primary things that Jesus links our anxiety to is possessions, No amens on that this morning. No amens, right? Jesus ends that statement and says, you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve two masters. But when you look at the totality of the Sermon on the Mount, these words also stand on their own as well. Because when Jesus talks about these Gentiles in verse 32, do you see that there? He says, for the Gentiles seek after these things, Jesus is challenging how the people in the kingdom of God live and how the people outside the kingdom of God live. He's challenging literally an entire way of life. And one of the things that I have to do is I have to have a caveat here and sort of speak a little bit. And we do this anytime we talk about anxiety, depression, or anything involving the mind or possible mental disorders and things like that. I think the church for, for many, many years has done a very poor job on engaging people in those areas. And we've given them almost like a fortune cookie thing that says like pray more. And that's almost been a burden to people in their life because they come in this place and they seek refuge. And we say oftentimes it's okay to not be okay. But then we hit people with cliche statements like well, just have faith or just pray And people often leave more burden than when they came in of a place when they sought to seek refuge. And so please understand and hear me today. In no way am I negating mental disorders or thyroid or chemical problems that release things and do things. Nor am I combating modern medicine or anything like that. Praise be to God that we live in an age in which we live in. But I do think there's a tension in the text. Because Jesus says three times as a present command, do not be anxious. So one of the things that I can tell you with all resolve of God's word is this. Jesus desires for you to live a worry-free and worry or anxious-free life. Jesus has a desire for that. I don't think that you're going to leave today with all of your problems solved and everything tied up in a pretty bow. But my desire is that you would leave today with a much bigger view of who Jesus is than when you walked in today. So how we're going to walk through the text is this. We're going to look at what anxiety is, when anxiety enters, and how anxiety exits. Okay, We're going to look at those things today. So the first one is this. What anxiety is. What is anxiety according to Jesus? Look at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. And then verse 31, therefore, do not be anxious. Verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious. Any questions? Any questions? Jesus uses um, a unique Greek word here, and it sounded um, and And it actually means to be divided. To literally have your foot in one place and then the other foot in another and to be torn in two different directions. And the word has a root meaning that means to overly care for, to overly care for, to be divided of mind or almost be torn in two different directions. My heart is here, my mind is here, my desires are here, but this is pulling at me. This is the word that Jesus is using. And actually, um, there's been a lot of clinical studies in regards to how anxiety in the mind causes actual physical stress um, in the body. And this man, who was the founder of Mayo Clinic, Charles Mayo, says this, worry and anxiety affects the circulatory system, the heart, the glands, the entire nervous system. And then he said this, I have never known anyone who died of overwork. But I knew many of people who have died of just worry. Worry. It's a simple word that has so much connotation in our life. But how does Jesus actually define it? I think that we can explain it, but defining it is is a little bit more difficult. And I think he does that in the very last verse of the passage. Look at the last verse. He says, therefore, summing up everything, do not be anxious about what? For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus equates the worry and anxiety with tomorrow. Tomorrow. Me and Tyler worked on this definition a lot this week, and I kept revisiting it and revisiting it, and I thought I've just got to resolve it and leave it here. So here's how we're going to define anxiety. Anxiety is the fear of losing control of the uncontrollable. Now, when you first look at that, you go, well, that doesn't make any sense. You talk about controlling the uncontrollable. Exactly. That's the point. When Jesus sums it all up, I really do believe in verse 34, he anchors it down. And he says this almost, that anxiety is taking a future possibility and making it a present reality. You are worrying and are divided about something that has not yet happened or is to come, and it is affecting you in the here and in the now. Now, for some of you, I need to challenge you with this because some of you are like, man, I don't worry about nothing, man. I'm just, I just always tell everybody it'll take care of itself. It'll take care of itself. Jesus calls you lazy, okay, right? There's a difference of being like worry free and being lazy, all right? Here's what Jesus is not saying Jesus is not saying don't care, because you would be very hard pressed to find Jesus to ever say that in the Gospels. Jesus is saying, not saying don't care, Jesus is saying don't control everything. That's what he's saying. And I think anxiety and fear, they live together, right? They're, they're one or the other. One often causes the other. We're fearful about something in the, future, so, in, in the future, so we're anxious about something today. Or we're anxious about something in the future, so it causes fear today. But it's the desire to control, to have input, to guide this a way that you desire in a way in which, at the end of the day, you don't control anything. I mean, think about it. Let's break this down. What do you really control? Your marriage? Okay. Men, try that out for me. Let me know how that goes, all right? <laughs> your kids? Your finances? Your health? What do you control? Some of you are getting anxiety right now, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> the reality is, is listen to me, control is the greatest lie that you've ever believed in your life. It's the greatest lie you've ever believed. We'll get to that in a minute. What anxiety is. Anxiety is the fear of losing control of the uncontrollable. That's what Jesus is saying. It's always tomorrow. It's always this. It's always what's coming next. And a desire to want to be there. But I can't. I can't control that. So I'm here. So either I'm anxious. I'm divided of mind and heart now about something that is to come. But when does it enter into my life? What are some markers that I can look at when I know, oh, oh, okay, this is when this comes? Well, I think there's two primary areas that Jesus addresses as to when anxiety enters. The first one is this. When you have wrong perspectives. When you're looking at everything in your life wrongly. Because look at what he says here. Look in verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither toil or sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? And then look at this, verse 27. I love how frank Jesus is. Look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Translation, 2018. How's that going for you, bro? Right? Not going well. And then he says another word, verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. He says the word look, and then he says the word consider. It's kind of a poor English translation, but it's the same Greek word that means blepo, emblepo. And you know what it means? This is like Jedi stuff, man. This is awesome. It means to look at with the mind. Now, is Jesus into bird watching? Well, I mean, what's he saying here? He's saying you are looking at life through skewed lenses. You are only seeing things on the surface. You are not actually sitting down and looking at the way that the world functions. Maybe this will help us. Do you remember the books by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Sherlock Holmes? love Sherlock Holmes. Read him as a kid. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch is Sherlock Holmes. Oh my goodness. The BBC. Greatest show on television. It's just fantastic. But Sir Arthur Conan Doyle has a scene where Watson is getting frustrated because Sherlock Holmes is this great mind, genius of a detective. And Watson is his military friend. And he's always amazed at how Sherlock Holmes can just walk on a scene and know everything about anyone or everyone. And Sherlock Holmes is constantly trying to train Watson how to see things the way that he sees them and one time in one scene Sherlock gets so frustrated with Watson and he says these words Um, he says you see but you do not observe the distinction is clear dear Watson for example you have frequently seen the steps which lead up to the hall to our room Frequently, Watson says. Well, how often, Sherlock stated. Well, some of a hundred times, I would say. Then let me ask you, dear Watson, how many stairs are there? How many? Uh, I don't know. Quite so, dear Watson. You have not observed, yet you have seen. That is just my point. Now, I know that there are approximately 17 steps because I have both seen and I have observed. See, Sherlock is saying the same thing that Jesus is saying. You would say, oh, I look at my life all the time, and I'm thinking about it all the time, and I see all this stuff. How offensive for you to say that I'm not thinking about anything. You see, we think anxiety is constantly thinking and looking at something, and that's what's causing our anxiety. And Jesus says this, oh, no, 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 no. You have anxiety because you are not thinking enough. You're not thinking enough about the right things. You're thinking about things that you think that you can actually control, but I would have you look at things that you don't control, but yet still function properly, like the birds of the air or the lilies of the field, because every spring they bloom and they are more beautiful than Solomon, who is an Old Testament figure, who was the richest man who had ever walked the earth. And Jesus says, anxiety is not actually constantly thinking about something. Anxiety comes when you're not thinking about the right things. You're viewing your life through one lens and perspective. So anxiety enters through wrong perspective. But then the second one is this, through wrong priorities. Why are you looking at your life the way in which you are looking at it? And then Jesus anchors this down in verse 33. But seek First, the kingdom of God. You remember the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the reign of God through the people of God for the glory of God. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Jesus says you have a priority problem in your life. You're placing yourself at the center of everything. And when you do that, your priority is naturally going to be switched. Now, this is about material possessions for sure, but let's bridge the gap into other areas of your life. How about affirmation? Do they love me? Do they really like me? Will they respond? Who am I apart from this? What can I provide? What is my performance? You are at the center of that. And Jesus says when you're seeking first the kingdom of God, where you're accepted not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus has done, And then his righteousness, that's a big word, but so pumpkin spice latte, and you're going to learn a word today, okay? Righteousness are his laws, his ways. So when you seek the king and the way of life that he has for you, then everything else falls in order. You see, we say this all the time, and I will beat this nail constantly. Anxiety enters your world when you are at the center of your world. Listen to me. When everything depends on you, it will crush you. Your marriage, your job, your kids. Yes, we have a responsibility, but our responsibility is not to control, but rather to view our perspective through Jesus' lens and then to always place his priorities as our priorities. And when those things are aligned, that's a defense and walls that we set up in our life. Um, I didn't come to meet the Lord so. Later on in college, and I often say that I did so well in college that they actually asked me not to come back for a little bit, and so I'm still waiting when I can go back. But um, after I had met the Lord, um, I had gotten my first Bible, and I dusted it off this week. And this is my first Bible that I got after I had met the Lord, and I had consumed this thing, and then later on, I had gotten a study Bible, and then that freaked me out because. It had all the answers in it. And I was like, oh, no, you know. And so, um, but one of the things about this Bible that's precious to me and wouldn't mean anything to you is that when you open it up, there's a note card in there. And um, that's been in there um, forever. And that note card is very precious to me. And you can't even read it um, just because I spent so much time praying and having this note card in front of me. But I was in my car with um, everything that I had owned. I had great parents, great life. I was, just made choices. And I had everything in my car that I had owned at the time, and I'd been kicked out of house after house and living on a couch and this and that. that like, like when your fellow friends who do drugs with you say, hey, man, you can't live here anymore, that's, that's bad, okay? That's like not good for you, okay? And I was driving home. I just received some news that had just changed my life. And you know what I thought in the beginning of my life? Everybody's always got input on my life. God. My parents, everybody's always telling me how to live. But you know what? I'm going to do this thing my way, right? Frank Sinatra, my way, baby, right? I'm doing this thing. And I tanked my life in two years quicker than if I could have wrote a plan out for you for that. And I was driving in my car, and I was in between. When the four-lane comes to a two-lane, which from Jonesboro, Arkansas, going to Donovan, Missouri, I had one windshield wiper that worked, and that thing was just getting it, man. And the rain and rain was coming down. And I pulled over to the side of the road. I just cried, man. I thought, is this it? Is this really it? Is this what my life has come to? Is this what I could provide for myself? And I looked in the dash of my car. When I would come around for Christmas and Thanksgiving and things like that, my mom and dad would give me money or things like that, and they'd just love me and hug me. And my dad would always give me scripture, either on a Post-it note or an index card or anything like that. And I would toss them, you know, like, right? I'm doing drugs. I don't want to read Bible verses, right? And I looked in the dash of my car, and there was that note card. And on that note card, it said, Matthew 6.33 in the King James Version, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. And I felt God say to me, how's it going your way? How's it really going your way? And in that moment, I just thought, I'll tap out, man. I'll give this thing to you, man. I will give this to you, and I will let you take the reins of this thing. Has my life been perfect since then? (laughs) Ask my wife, man. Just ask my wife. I still battle daily with trying to be the center of everything. But the joy that I have in my life knowing that this thing does not depend upon me is something that nothing else can provide for me in my life. You see, it goes all the way back. It goes all the way back to the beginning of the story, the lie that we have believed ourselves. In Genesis chapter 3, when God created the first world and everything was perfect, He created Adam and Eve and He gave them a choice. He said, my way is the best way. Don't go outside of my way. And the enemy says these words in Genesis chapter 3. But the serpent said to the woman, you're not surely going to die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. The greatest lie that you could believe in your life is when anxiety and worry enter in. means that you are competing with God for his job. That's the lie that we've all believed. We've all believed that I can do this thing better than you can. And we would never say audibly. We would never say it out loud. But when this enters into our life and it controls us and the alarm is constantly going off in all of these things, we begin to believe that lie that, God, I need to help you with this. I mean, I know that Jupiter, beautiful, the moon, awesome, love the sun, those things were great. But when it comes to my life, I need to help you with a few things here. And the reality is, is when that happens and we believe that lie, the same thing that happened to them. And look at what she saw, the perspective changed for her when she believed the lie, desired to make one wise. That's the greatest lie that we believe. It enters into our world when we have a wrong perspective, when we're viewing everything from the lens of ourselves. And then when our priorities are switched around, and it's our needs and this and that, a part of what God can already provide for us. Now, some tools. How can anxiety exit How can we defend and fight against this? And for some of us, this will be our lot and this will be our battle for our days. But listen to me, I tell you today, take heart because God has given you tools for this battle. Amen? How anxiety exits. There's something all in this passage that's actually a profound doctrine that's found all through the scriptures. Jesus refers to the natural order of the world and how all of these things work from birds of the air to lilies of the field to all of those things. And the doctrine that's found in this passage is called the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. There's a verse that really sums it all up in the book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 36, and it says, From him and through him and to him are all things. Questions? What about, yep, Charles Spurgeon says, my dear brothers and sisters, there is not a rogue molecule in all of the universe that is outside of God's control. That's profound to think about. What is the sovereignty of God? The sovereignty of God is the biblical teaching that all things are under God's rule and control and that nothing happens without his direction or permission. Listen, there are questions that you have that I cannot answer as to why bad things happen and this and that. But here's one truth that I can tell you, that nothing happens at the end of the day unless God has signed off on it. And if you can bat that, my answer to you is then what else do you have? What else do you have apart from that? The great comfort is, listen, oftentimes in Christianity, we say that we don't need theology and that we need to water down doctrine and make everything practical. But I have found nothing in my life more comforting than the doctrine of the sovereignty of God from creation to salvation to glorification to everything that he rules and reigns the universe. And yes, there will be tragedy that enters into your world. And yes, things that you think that I cannot handle, I cannot bear this. And why would God allow this? Listen, I'm going to say something to you that a lot of preachers may not say. I don't know. I don't know that. But here's something I do know. And it's what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know. That for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who were called according to his purpose. This we know, not how we feel. But this is what we know. Listen, every Sunday, I want to bring to you not warm, fuzzy feelings, but I want to bring you boulders and rocks that you can build your life on so that you can know. I don't know the cause of cancer or why babies die or this or that. We live in a fallen and a broken world, but I know for those who love Jesus Christ, that God is so powerful that cancer can be for your good and for His glory. That's how powerful God is. People often say that if God is all good, then he can't be all powerful. And that if God is all powerful, then he can't be all good. Then if bad things would happen, then God is not all powerful because he doesn't do away with those things. And I say that something that is more powerful than just banishing everything that is bad is causing things that were once meant for bad to be for your good. That is the greatest power of them all. And how does this answer your anxiety? Because listen to me, I know always beats what if. Anxiety lives in what if. What if the doctor says this? What if they don't come home? What if they don't answer their phone? What if I lose my job? What if? What if? What if? if? And that is a rabbit hole that is endless. And the only way to fight what if is I know. I know. I don't know a lot of other things in my life, but I know this. I know this to be true. That God has promised me that everything that happens to me in my life is for my good. I don't know. I can't see the good right now, but I know that he's promised me this. So what are the things in this passage that Jesus has told us that we know? The first thing is this, we know that God provides. We know at the end of the day, God provides. Question When you woke up this morning, did you tell your heart to beat and your breath to translate that oxygen into, uh, that oxygen into your bloodstream and send it to your brain? Was that your first thought this morning? Most of you guys were like, Is the coffee pot on? Right? No, you didn't do any of that. The sun to rise? God provides. God provides. And if we could pass the microphone right now in this audience and give testimony after testimony about how I didn't know. I mean, it was to the minute and to the second I didn't realize, and God provided. God provided. God always provides. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage. Listen, he may not provide what you want, but he will provide what you need. And there's a profound difference in those two things. And for us as Western American Christians, it would heed us well to know the difference of that. It may not be what you want, but it is what you need. God provides. And then the second thing is this. God knows. Look, Jesus says it in the passage, verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows. Your father knows. If you've got kids or grandkids, how much fun was it at Christmas time when someone would ask them like, what are you wanting for Christmas? Or if they would constantly talk about that thing that they wanted. And you as a parent were like, that's in my closet, bro, right? That's in the attic. I got that thing, man. That is coming for you on Christmas, man. And just as a parent, it gives you so much joy because you already know. You already know and you've already provided. Why do you think God's any different? He knows. Do you know that's what separates Christianity from all other religions in the world? Oh, you may have a God who's created things, but he's very distant from his creation. He's very removed from it in Buddhism and things like that. Christianity says that we have a God who created everything, God who provides, but a God who is also personal to you. He knows. And how comforting is it to know That he already knows. But the last thing is this is that he cares to know. Like, listen to me. Listen to me. God not only provides, I know God provides. I know that God knows, but God cares about you. About you. It's what the psalmist would say Who is man that you are mindful of him? that you've created everything, yet, you, listen to me. Some of you came today for this. This is your word. Right now, you are on God's mind. You are on God's heart. Because look at how poetic Jesus puts it in verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life? I'm, no, 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 I'm sorry. The end of verse 26. He talks about and the birds of the air, neither they sow nor reap nor gather into barns and your heavenly father feeds them. And then here it is, underline it, star it, highlight it in your neighbor's Bible for them. Are you not of more value than they? That God is so sovereign and so in control that Jesus would say later on in the gospel of Mark that a bird does not fall from a tree without God knowing it. Without God knowing it yet, God is concerned for you and that he cares. This is the only truth that I've come to understand and the only thing that I can give you and something that has been so profound in my life. This is what I believe Jesus is saying and this is the big idea. The, the anchor, the anchor of God's sovereignty is the answer to your anxiety the anchor when the waves of life and anxiousness and fear and worry toss us to and fro and my mind is out of control and my heart is spinning downward and I don't know what's taking place and I'm out of control of everything. I need a rock to stand on. I need something that will anchor me down in my life that I can pray for my kids when I send them off to school that when I'm sitting in the doctor's office and I don't know what the results are going to be I need a rock in my life man and that rock has got to be the massive anchor of the very sovereignty of God. Listen, I want you to have a big view of God today. That Jesus Christ is on a throne today. That he is seated there. And he's still seated there even when we sit at a graveside. He is seated there, even when we're in the lawyer's office negotiating the divorce. He is seated there on that throne. And he's working things. He's doing things. He's making it somehow in his sovereignty, making you more like Christ. And he's strengthening your faith. And he's saying, listen, I'm not going to take you around this. I'm not going to make you exempt from this trial in your life. I'm going to pull you through this trial because on the other side of the trial, you're going to see how precious I am. You're going to see how beautiful I am and your faith will be refined by fire. It's the anchor of God's sovereignty that you need in your life. You need less of you and you need more of God. But what does this really look like? What does this boots on the ground look like in your life? We're going to do something different today as we end the service. The band's going to come up and lead us in a time of response. I want you to listen for just a moment. You're not going to come forward and participate in communion on the first song. We'll do that on the second one, and I'll instruct you a certain way. I want you to know that this is not an ethereal concept that we are teaching today, that this is something that can actually be applied to your life in the here and now, even in the midst of the worst circumstances. Many of you may know this story. This is a picture of a man by the name of Horatio Spadford. Horatio Spafford was a very successful business man and very good friends with the great evangelist D.L. Moody. He had given his life to Christ and funded a lot of D.L. Moody's revivals. When the Great Chicago Fire happened in the 1800s, Horatio Spadford lost a lot of his businesses and all the schools had almost burned down in Chicago. So Horatio Spadford put his wife, Anna, and their four daughters on a boat to send them over to Europe. The boat's name was the Vial de Harve, sailing over to Europe he kissed Anna and his four daughters goodbye and put them on the boat four days later into the journey that boat in a storm collided with a Scottish iron ship the Loch Earn Anna got both all four of her daughters came to the deck of the boat and knelt down and prayed the Lord's prayer together and they said thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, spare us if you will, or allow us to endure what happens. Two hours later, that boat sank to the bottom of the ocean. A man came, uh, came through with a canoe and was looking at the wreckage, seeing if there were any survivors, and he heard Anna yelling for help. Anna got into the boat, crossed over into Europe, and she sent this telegram that forever was framed on Horatio Spadford's desk. And it said these words, saved alone. What am I to do? Horatio and Anna lost all four of their children on that boat wreck. Many months later, Horatio boarded another boat to go see his wife Anna in Europe. Four days into the journey, the captain of the ship called for Horatio and said, we are in the spot that the ship went down. Horatio requested that the boat stop right there. And he too went to the deck of the boat and prayed the Lord's Prayer that Anna had prayed. Then he went back to his room and he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well. It is well with my soul. The only way that you can pin those words is that you have an anchor in your life. You have an anchor that will hold you down in the midst of any tragedy, and that is the anchor of God's sovereignty. I'm gonna have you stand right where you're at and I want you to sing these words today as a promise of God that it is well with our soul. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and may we sing this promise and an anthem. May we be still as the people of God. I can't imagine the worries and the anxieties that fill this room today, but may we come in and have a big view of you, Jesus and your kingdom as a king who sits on the throne. And God, some of us may not even be able to sing these words out loud today, but I pray that you would grant the gift of faith and that we would just open up our mouth and even in our heart, we don't even believe it at the time, but we're just singing in faith. We're singing in faith because we don't live in what if. We live in what we know. And what we know is the sovereignty of God in His goodness and His kindness. Holy Spirit, fill this room today as we sing Your praises. In Christ's name, amen. Sing these words today.